Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. in an extraordinary time. Uh, we're living in a time when um, most of us as humans, if we had looked at our lives uh, prior to March uh, 2020, we would have imagined for ourselves a very, very different future. Uh, we would have imagined a future um, that maybe would have seen our businesses growing on a certain trajectory or seen our careers growing on a certain trajectory. Students, you may have imagined uh, being in the fall of 2020, uh, going into university and moving into dorm, moving into residence and uh, being ready to take on uh, your course load. Uh, some of you would have imagined uh, going for your driver's training and having your driver's license. Uh, kids, you might have imagined school uh, not wearing a mask and playing with your friends and wrestling out in the in the schoolyard. Um, so many different ones of us had a vision for our lives. Just looking forward, we expect certain things to happen. We expect uh, certain realities uh, to be present to us. And the reality is, is in this extraordinary time, uh, all of that was absolutely disrupted. It was changed. What we expected simply did not happen. What we expected, what we perceived as a promised future, what we imagined to happen, did not happen. The promises that we thought were our promises did not come to pass. And so it's an extraordinarily uh, grief-filled and a strange, strange moment uh, that we're living in. And what we looked at last week is we looked at the trajectory of our church and we're looking at the trajectory of our individual lives. Uh, we ended with this thought, and I want to just sort of start there and take us on from it. Uh, we ended with the thought that God seems in this time less concerned with achieving his aims, even his vision or goals for our lives, than he is about being known and trusted by us as people that uh, the Israelite people on the edge of the promised land when they were about to go in um, and they didn't have the faith, they didn't have the belief, they didn't uh, have an expectation or a vision of their journey into the promised land with God being at its center. He was ultimately saying, hey, it's not time for you to go because you're not going with me yet. And so we're going to wander for 40 years in the wilderness and wait for people that's ready to go with me into the future. And, uh, and it was really not about that vision for the future, the vision for the promised land, the trajectory of the people, all of the practical realities of their lives wasn't what God was concerned with in that moment. What he was concerned with in that moment was the hearts of his people and that they would know him and that they would trust him. And so that leaves us with a question to engage with today. What does faith mean? What does it mean to know and trust God in this time between the promise, what we believe to be the glorious future that he has for us, and the fulfillment of it? What does it mean to live in this strange, strange in-between time? And what does it mean for us to trust Jesus completely with those promises and give them all back to him? The practical realities we dream about and to just hand them back to him and focus on relationship and connection and what it means to be a people who know him and who trust him. And we see uh, in Hebrews 11, the text that we read earlier, and I'm just going to hit a couple of snippets from it because it's, it's an incredibly rich, rich text that summarizes an enormous a swath of the story of the Hebrew people 
I'm just going to hit catch a couple of highlights, and we're going to talk about the definition of faith that we have at the beginning of the text with which to interpret it as we go. But let's start here with uh, this little snippet we have in verse 11 about Sarah. And this is Sarah, a famous uh, woman in the scriptures, uh, one of the sort of the matriarchs, the, the wife of Abraham. Uh, Abraham had been promised that um, he would have many, many children and that ultimately they would grow into a great nation and that ultimately that nation uh, would be a light to the world. And we've seen that happen in history through the Jewish nation and ultimately the Christian faith that came out of it. And we see Christianity as a light to the nation. So we see that promise fulfilled in the life of Abraham. But it had a very, very narrow moment at the beginning of the promise where it was dependent on whether Abraham and Sarah, this beautiful couple, in the ancient world would have any children at all. So at the time they were aged, they were old. And it says, by faith, Sarah herself received the power to conceive even when she was past the age. So she was able to receive uh, the ability to give birth even though she was an older woman. Um, and past the age of childbearing. And it's just absolutely amazing. We see it as a miracle uh, from God. But what we see made that miracle possible, one of the elements that made that something that was going to be a reality was that by faith she received that power. What does that mean that she received that by faith? Well, the rest of the sentence begins to answer that question. Uh, it says, she considered him faithful who had promised so we see at the core of uh, the moving of her from a person who could not have a child to a person who could have a child. At the core of whether that could happen or not, again, just like the Hebrew people that we talked about on the edge of the promised land before, was her relationship with God. And we see that in the text. We see that in the Greek here. She considered him who had promised to be faithful. She rationally, internally, uh, relationally brought him, God, into her reality, into her thinking, into her heart, into her mind. And in that moment, the reality of the presence of God in that space and time made a future possible that was otherwise impossible. But it was about that relationship. She considered him faithful, who had promised. And ultimately, we see in the rest of the text that that a belief that consideration of him in her story is what was credited to her as righteousness. So the bringing of Jesus into your story in a radical way is uh, that expression of faith. And we're going to see that again in the story of Abraham. Uh, verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Now we know that's a crazy part of the story where God sort of speaks to Abraham and says, hey, go up on the mountain. The son that you've had with Sarah that was an impossible son to have, the son that the whole promise is invested in, I want you to offer a sacrifice. Now to us in the year 2020, that just seems uh, insane. But in the ancient world, that was something that made sense to Abraham. And so obediently, uh, he went up the mountain to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice and literally was willing uh, to drive a knife through the heart of his son. Was willing to do that because, verse 19, he considered God was able. He brought the reality of who God was 
into his present moment and was willing to imagine that that reality of the presence of God was more important than his rational ability to see how the promise ought to work out. In that moment, his belief in the person and presence of God trumped logic, planning, organization, structure, uh, all of the logical things that he had. The presence of God, those things are important, but the presence of God in that moment trumped those things. And he believed that God would ultimately even be able to raise Isaac from the dead, which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So again, in the middle of going from not knowing what was going to happen to the fulfillment of a promise, the absolute critical thing in the middle of the story was relationship with God. Was he considered? Was he in the middle of it? Was he present in it? Were the people abiding with him? And it goes on uh, to say this in verse 39, we're jumping ahead and all of these, because the story just goes on and tells story after story after story after Bible story. It says this, and all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So in the end, in their lifetime, they didn't actually see the fulfillment of the promise. Abraham didn't live uh, to see his uh, children grow into a great nation. He just didn't see it. He didn't receive what was promised. But God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And so what he's talking about there is that, hey, that moment of promise that Abraham experienced, that moment of him uh, leaning into relationship, that reality of Abraham abiding with God, it resulted, of course, in the coming of the Jewish nation and the spread of Christianity. But the fruit that we experience of all that now is the same fruit that Aaron, or that Moses, or sorry, Abraham experienced in that moment. The fruit of it is for us, relationship with God, a thing that is better for us, that we are made perfect in our relationship with Jesus as we've been restored uh, to relationship with God through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so at the core of everything, every aspect of the promise from the initial speaking of it to Abraham, uh, through the lives of Sarah, through the life of Abraham and the sacrifice, and through thousands of years of history, the most important thing of progression at each moment through human history has been, is there relationship with God in this moment? And that is the very thing that is being asked of us now. It is the very thing that is most important to us now. As you look to everything uh, that you have believed is a promise for yourself. Everything about your business, everything about your school career, everything about your children, everything about the life that is uh, what we had imagined for ourselves. The questions being asked in the middle of it, is Jesus considered? Is relationship paramount in the midst of it? Do you know him in the midst of it? Uh, Hebrews 11, that definition of faith that's given at the beginning of the text is so important. Uh, it reads in many translations, uh, ESV, NIV, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Um, another way to look at those words uh, in terms of the original language, and we see other translations like the New King James Version, New Living Bible, uh, UK translations, a lot of them, uh, that word assurance, uh, Hypostasis is a compound word which means sort of under solid or under solidified or foundational or substance. 
So faith is the substance of things hoped for. And that's what many of you have heard in a lot of translations. Uh, and the conviction of things not seen. Uh, that word conviction is like a more solid word than just conviction. It's like proof and it's like evidence. And there's a very big difference between those. There's a big, very big difference between uh, faith being like a, a, an abstract concept. I feel assured. I feel okay. It feels great. It feels like that thing might actually happen. Or a conviction, like I believe it. I believe it in my heart that that's actually going to happen. But true faith is actually more than that. True faith is actually a substance. True faith is actually an existing current, living, abiding relationship with the one who delivers the promise in the first place. It is uh, proof. It is evidence. It is the promise happening now in this moment because it's happening in relationship with God, even though it's not necessarily happening in the temporal reality that we're experiencing. Uh, your relationship with a faithful God is the substance of the thing hoped for. And that's radical faith. The relationship that you have with God in the midst of this time between uh, the promise and the reality of it, that reality of relationship, that reality of trust, that reality of a heart that is his, is the substance of the thing that you've hoped for. It's not about the thing, it's about him. He is the thing. He is the thing. Uh, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project uses a, a fantastic illustration uh, to talk about this. Um, this idea that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, we live in Canada. We live in this crazy uh, country where right now it's fall. I mean, this is a warm day, but uh, the days that are coming, like it's jeans, long sleeve shirts, sweater, jacket and it's like getting to be like two and three degrees in the morning when you go out for a walk I uh, bundle up when you go to um when you go to work I guess we don't go to work anymore <laughs> very often we sort of bundle up when you go out the door right because it's what it's two or three degrees five degrees ten degrees so you put on the sweaters right well it's a very different deal in spring right it's been cold it's been minus 20 it's been minus 30 it's been uh, zero degrees. And when it hits that magical spot where it's like two degrees above zero in Canada, we're all out there in our shirt sleeves wearing shorts at two degrees. And we would never, ever do that in the fall. Like we're crazy Canucks. We're getting out there. We're going, uh, you know, we're soaking in the rays. We're so desperate to see the sun in the spring. That's what it is to live with faith in the moment is that there is a reality in the present, because we have a relationship with God of that thing that hasn't yet happened in our lives. The sun is actually shining in the same way that it was in the fall, but it's shining uh, and we are able to live in it and we're able to live in the joy of it, even though the leaves aren't yet on the trees, even though the beaches aren't yet open, even though uh, the ice is not off the lakes. In that moment of the spring, we live in the joy of the promise because God is present to us. The sun is shining and he is present to us. 
We see it in the crocus, uh, this little flower that uh, manages to just bloom and blossom uh, early, early in the spring. And I remember seeing these growing up in Western Canada, these little crocuses growing up in the lawn um, and seeing them push their way uh, through the snow, believing that it was summer long before anybody else did. And that's what faith is for us, believing that there is a reality for us and that we can take joy in it even though it hasn't yet happened. There is substance to it because the sun is shining. Now for me, in this time, uh, in this reality, this isn't easy. This isn't easy for us to arrive at this place of faith. It's not easy for you uh, when you're thinking about your career, your business, your job. Uh, it's just not easy to live in joy in a time like this. There is grief on that journey to figuring out where God is in the midst of it. Uh, for me, when I look at promise, when I look at presence, when I look at uh, a future that is a trajectory that I long for, I look to something like uh, what we saw last Christmas. And you can see on the screen here an image of our children uh, gathered at the Christmas pageant a couple of days uh, before Christmas. And they're about to sing a song and they've got, you know, bunny ears on and they're wearing bathrobes and they're gathered and they're there together and they're not wearing masks and they're worshiping Jesus and telling a story together. Uh, when I was young, uh, pastor at almost every stage in my journey uh, at various other ministry projects, I was dreamt about what it was like and what it would be like to plant a church in Carlton Place. I was wanting to know what it would like to do that. And I knew that was a vision that I had. I knew that was something that God called me to. And I imagined what it would be like to have our community of people from this region gathered with a heart to worship Jesus. And we see here you guys are just a few months ago gathered to worship Jesus. And here's beautiful rain. I, I, hey, it looks like it might be Remembrance Day. Beautiful rain, like looking back at me, taking the picture, like, what are you doing, dude? Like, focus on Jesus or something, right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it's been a longing in my heart. And, and there's a vision that is so much more than that, right? There's a vision for thousands of people in our region gathered in one place with a singular passion to worship Jesus, with their hearts on fire, passionate to be discipled, passionate to hear the word of God. And when I, uh, the, so this week in wrestling with some of the grief and pain of like being like feeling like it's, we're so, so very far from that promise and so very far from that vision. Uh, I, I, I spent some time praying and you're, I'll let you into my wacky kind of uh, prayer life and my wacky kind of prayer journey. But I allowed myself and my sort of imagination with the Holy Spirit present to sort of stand in that place and actually stand in that future place, that crowd of a thousand worshipers giving their hearts to Jesus. And in that moment, I had to cast down broken things inside of me something prideful that would say, wow, all these people are here because I planted a church. You're awesome. Well, that's crap. I have to throw that out. Uh, all of the other sort of uh, corrupt and broken things in me that caused me to pursue that vision uh, with passion and exercise in prayer to one by one, feel them, admit them, repent, uh, cast them aside. And what I expected in that prayer time for me 
was to sort of just be left with kind of a sense of, I've done my duty. I've emptied myself of this garbage and, uh, and I can go about my day. But what I found in that moment of worship, that moment of prayer was that once I cast aside all of the crap that was motivating me and pushing me towards that vision was, was a, a, a revelation, a vision of it that was there and it was still pure that at the core of all the crap that I had been following as an ambition was a, was a true vision that God wants to see his people gathered around his throne, every tribe and tongue and nation worshiping him. And in that moment, um, I, I felt a couple of things. Uh, the, the first was, uh, just enormous grief at the fact that there's a reality that we are so far from that in this time at our planning and prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit and moving forward is something that moves ponderously and slow and that there's so much that is out of our control. And so I had really, literally, I just, at that early in the early morning, I, I literally just wept and wept and wept. But in the middle of that, in the middle of that grief, uh, there was an undercurrent that, that I can't explain, that I can't deny, that, I, that, that was as real to me as the grief, was the clarity and reality of that vision to see God's church gathered and worshiping him. That the center of the vision was a revelation of the kingdom of God. And whether that would ever result in my lifetime in a worship service with a thousand people in Carlton Place worshiping Jesus, I don't know. I have to lay that down. I have to let that go. And say that in the midst of it, in the midst of that passion, in the midst of the beauty of that vision, because I can't make it happen, I don't have the strength to make it happen, I don't know how to make it happen. I have to let that go and find in the midst of the passion for that vision, the reality that what matters as it did for Sarah, as it did for Abraham, and as it did for every other person in the history of the story of the people of God, in this moment, Jesus has to matter more. My relationship with him has to matter more. And so that's what I'm praying for us as a community. We will pursue the vision with passion. We will try to clarify it. We will try to see the beauty of it, all of that. But first and foremost, in the midst of it, when all is stripped away, he is the thing. Only he remains. And only he matters. And the coming of the promise is up to him. And we can learn in that to trust and to rely on him and to believe in him and to do relationship with him in the moment. That's the challenge for us. That's my challenge. I think that's your challenge as well. What are the promises that you are longing for?
what are the promises that you are longing for? And can you lay them down with me to find him? I'm just going to take a moment uh, to be silent and to just allow you to have a moment of prayer. And I think this is something that would be a healthy exercise uh, for you, with it, whether it's your business, your school, your career, whatever it is, looking forward, for you to take a moment and just say, how does this promise lead me to him? What is the promise that I'm longing for? So I'll just take a moment of silence and just let you name that promise, name those promises so that we can just do a prayer in a moment and give them back to him. Father, I pray that you'll come in this moment, Holy Spirit, that you'll speak to your people, that you would help us identify the true promises that you have for our lives, and that you would give us a grace to, and the courage actually to name them, to actually hope for them, to actually see ourselves in them so that we can lay them down and give them back to you. So speak to your people in this moment. and lead us to the question, where does the promise lead us directly to you? Would you be the substance of the promise for us in this moment? Would you be the source of hope for us in this moment? Would you be the evidence in this moment? And would the evidence that we've seen, even in the scriptures of your story, of your resurrection, of your life lived, those signs given to us in space and time and history, would they be present to us in this moment through our understanding of the scriptures, through the work of your Holy Spirit? Come, Holy Spirit, and let us live lives that are directed and empowered by you and you alone. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.